Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Turn up the radio and sing along. It's time for another great song. This is the Great Song Podcast. Seasons greetings, everybody out there on the internet. You are here once again with Rob Alley. And JP Mosier. And you're listening to the Great Song Podcast. We thank you for being with us again this week. Uh, we're looking forward to just busting your ears with beautiful juice from the best songs in probably the last 50 years of modern U.S.-based ever rock pop. Ever made. Uh, on the lighter end of it, ever. Ever made. Um, so we got a great song for you this week, and, uh, and we're going to jump right into it. We've got one of the best probably... Um, Jam band is this? Yeah, is this jam band? Jam, Peter jam band. Frampton. Do you feel like we do? That is our subject this week. Um, and uh, let us know what do you think if you're if you're listening on iTunes or Stitcher or whatever you're listening on. Uh, subscribe, give us ratings, comments, all those things uh, that are going to help us be heard by more and more people um, who are just as nerdy as all of us who are listening to this right now. Um, let us know what you think. Is Peter Frampton? jam band music or is it just straight rock and roll now granted do you feel like we do is 14 minutes long 14 minutes yes um actually so i 14 think, minutes and 15 seconds so i think here. by default that almost i mean it definitely has a long sort of jam section multiple jam sections so i guess sort of by default you go that's jam band but it originally was not a 14 minute song it originally so was we not and we that. will we will get into that later, later. so let's take a listen Real quick, here is the song of the day, Do You Feel Like We Do, by Peter Frampton. Feeling like a key change. Yeah. According to the prophecy. <laughs> let it be let it be done. Okay. Alright, I have questions right away. Yeah. Go ahead. I have questions at 30 seconds into the song, I have a question. Okay. So there's this sort of iconic riff. Okay. The fourth time he plays it. He's just come off a little flourish, right? He's dun 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 It's a half note difference, a half step difference in the riff. So in other words, he's going But the fourth time he plays it, he goes And it's a half step different. And I've wondered my entire adult music listening life if it was a mistake. Or if he's a genius and did it on purpose. I guess we could listen to the original and find out. I don't, want, I don't want to. Yeah, we do a confession. I do a confession each week. This uh, is not the original, obviously, because it's alive. This is my alive. confession. And I have never heard the original um, from this, but we will touch Nor on that. Nor have I. Yes. I didn't know one existed before this. 
I honestly, I until until I started researching this, I thought this was Frampton's debut album. Oh wow! I I did not know. I thought this was like his his like sort of coming out party because he'd been involved humble pie. prior to this with humble pie. Yeah. And so I thought this was just his like debut. I was wrong. Yeah. That's not true at all. That's, that's correct. <clears throat> and apparently there is a studio version. It's of, off do you of, feel like we do. It's off of Frampton's camel for those of y'all that are and wondering his, what we were talking about. Yes. That's, the original was on Frampton's camel. And you've probably never heard it either. No, I, I mean, we have not. This is the only 14-minute song that I know of that gets airplay on, like, classic rock radio. Um, unless they're doing, like, unless they're playing the entire Dark Side of the Moon album or something like that. Yeah. But are there any songs of this length? I know, like, Hey Jude, when it came out, it was a big deal because it was, like, seven minutes seven long. Minutes and I said, well, the original to this one is, like, seven minutes and something. Right, so. yeah. That's what I, even the studio version of this is a lengthy song. Yeah. Um, are there any other, like, just crazy long songs that still get airplay? Any long Layla, I guess, would be one. Yeah, it's, if you, you know, include the piano outro, which, which if you ever listen to Layla and shut it off before the piano <laughs> thing, we are no longer friends. No, no, uh, we're done. That That's is the best part of the entire song. Sacrilege, yes, to not include the piano part of the song. But I heard a radio station do that uh, just a few weeks ago for the first time ever, and I was just enraged, like completely washed <laughs> over with anger. And this is why our podcasts that are supposed to be seven minutes end up being 40 minutes. Let's so not get ourselves. Are okay. Okay. This is going to be, I mean, the song itself is 14. Yeah. So just, <laughs> if we're going to break down every section. Just buckle in, everybody. We're going to be here for a minute because we, <laughs> we got 14 minutes worth of material to, just to talk about. So okay. um, just, just sit tight, everybody, for a few minutes with us. We're going to really dive into this amazing song. So b- back to what started this, uh, this whole discussion. I, I'm going to play this again for you. And I want, I want you to give me your opinion just on first listen. I don't know if you've ever taken this into thought. I have not. Okay. So tell me if this was on purpose because it, musically it fits. It's interesting. It's different. I love it. If it's on purpose, I think it's genius. If it's a mistake, I think, ooh, he got away with one. That could have been bad. Does he play it again throughout? He never plays it this way okay. again as far as I'm aware through the entire composition. So let's take a listen here. I'm going to go on purpose because he hits it so confidently. He hits it very confidently. And dead on. It's like... He does. It wasn't like a slide into, like, I missed it and I'm trying to correct. See, that's my only... It was so confident. I I would have never thought that it was an accident if he uh, had not been playing that little flourish. I'm just thinking about the way myself, that I would do it. Like, it would be easier for me to get caught up in the little... Side thing I just played, and then botch the main riff coming okay. after it. However, yeah, this think, is Peter Frampton. Sure. And he is one of the most technically proficient, like, you know, he, he doesn't make mistakes. Like, he's always so <laughs> fluid and smooth and is and is a... Everything is intentional, I see. What yeah, he's a theory savant. Mm-hmm. Like, he's just very, very, very good at what he does. So the chances, I think, are very good that he did it on purpose. Um, he managed to put all these weird chords into one song. Yeah. So it's got to it, be intentional. I right? think probably it is intentional, which just gives me even more respect uh, for Frampton. Uh, I could have maybe, maybe there's an interview out there where somebody asked him, hey, was that a mistake? But I don't know of one. 
Would that um, be your question if you get to sit down with oh Peter Frampton? If yes. you get your one question? If I had one question to ask Peter Frampton, I'd be like, okay, well, at 26 seconds on Do You Feel Like We Do, then, uh, you know, you're in the Mixolydian mode and you hit that 13 there. Was that a mistake or was that on purpose? Um, and he'd be like, it's on purpose. I'm Frampton. What do you think? You think I'd make mistakes? <laughs> like, no. Okay. Um, okay. So immediately, this song is just. And here's the other thing I think we have to qualify almost, but I'll get your take on this. This is the great song podcast, right? You're Correct. listening and, and, and you are hosting, we are hosting the great song podcast. Is this in fact a great song or are we really talking about a great performance and a great recording? Yeah, I, uh, I would have to lean on the, this was a great outing of a song. Like this is a great live recording of a song. <clears throat> The song in itself, I'm not going to say, is part of the great songs, but the experience of the Frampton Comes Alive side four <laughs> of this of this is is great. For those of you who are unfamiliar with Frampton Comes Alive, uh, this was an, a a double live album that came out in 1976. We're actually looking at right. We're now. looking at the LP from JP's home collection. Um, this is referenced in the movie Wayne's World. Uh, as being issued to anyone who's born in the suburbs. Uh, Apparently I got it for a dollar. JP got this for a dollar, which is, that's a heck of a buy. It's a win. Actually. Um, so this is a, this is a long lengthy album. It is all very good. It includes several tracks that you're still hearing on the radio today, including his version of uh, Baby I Love Your Way, uh, which has one of the laziest lyrics I felt like <laughs> I've ever heard, which is, and he's not the only one to do this, but Ooh Baby I Love Your Way. Every, every day because it rhymes and and why not? show me the way is also on here <laughs> that's true show me the way the is gonna be the, the other song that, the other. You're, that you're still hearing on the radio from this album but it's very good and uh contextually do you feel like we do is placed at the end of side four of a double album and actually do you know how the sides are set up on this i don't actually this is kind of cool i'm gonna pull this out and show you Actually, y'all can't see this, so there's no need for me to pull it out. But sides one and four are together on an album, and sides two and three are together on an album. Do uh, you think it's for time's sake? It's mainly for time's sake and flow, and because they wanted, I think they wanted to mix up hits. Like, they didn't want everything on the same album. I, I mean, for the, I'm a big vinyl listener, for those of y'all that are. Um, I have albums that I will only listen to one side of an album because all of the hits are on the one side. And I think they tried to mix it up. And actually, this might be a good segue into how I discovered this song. Actually, my favorite Frampton song is Lines on My Face, which is the song before Do You Feel Like We Do. And that was the song that I would listen to and by default would get led into Do You Feel Like We Do. Because it was the song that followed Lines on My Face, which is my favorite Frampton song. Interesting. Lines on My Face, of course, uh, being the uh, being the anthem for uh, <laughs> oversleeping. Yeah, that's yeah. good. Good call. Um, so uh, so you're you're listening to. So when you when you listen to Frampton Comes Alive, do you listen one, four, two, three? Or Just because you... of convenience. Yes. Okay. Not because I think that's the flow of the concert or the flow of the, the way you should listen to. But it's just easier for me to flip the record. Than yeah. having to go I don't think go. I would be able to do it. I am still in, in 2017, and I, 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 I bet you're with me on this. I'm still in 2017, very much an album listener. I, I, I'm i an album guy. Um, I don't like to buy pre-orders like on iTunes. It, it, I mean, I'll buy a pre-order, 
but I don't listen to the pre-release songs. If they're like, this album comes out in two months, but if you buy it now, we'll give you three songs off of it for free. I'll buy the pre-order so that I get it the second it's available, but I don't listen to the three songs because I want to hear the whole album as a unit. How about you? Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. So I I think if I'm listening to Frampton Comes Alive, because I I have... uh, You'll go one, and then you'll go put on two, and then you'll put on three, and then you'll come back. Yes, I, I do that with... Uh, the George Benson album, uh, double live album, Weekend in L.A., which is laid out the same way. I think just for time to be able to fit some of the longer songs so that's not out of balance and there's enough time on each side, it goes one, I think it's one, four, two, three, just like that, or one, four, uh, something like that. And I'll flip it and put it in the right order, even though it's annoying, uh, but I want to hear it all in sequence the way it was meant to be listened to. It's also because I'm a rule follower. So like <laughs> if if you tell me I'm going to go from song four to then song like 13, I can't do it. I'm like, no, this is song five for a reason. And I have to, because it says it's five. That's awesome. So yeah. Uh, which is also probably why that note in that riff was so appealing to me because it's a wonderful it's a, little bending of, of a rule. It's on a rule break. It's a great little rule break. And I admire the guts of Peter Frampton to do it. Uh, so, okay, let's talk about, um, personnel on this song. Sure. Uh, let's meet the band with JP. Yeah, I love the, the meet the band section. This is the, the fun part for me. Um, Bob Mayo plays organ and Bob guitar. Mayo on, on the keyboards. Bob, Bob Mayo. Mayo. If you're looking at your box cover or album cover or cassette cover, he's in the bottom left-hand corner here sporting a daunting yellow button-up. About halfway up. He actually looks like he's kind of trying to win a Peter Frampton lookalike. He contest. is. He's even, yeah, he, he is. It's like he's playing a, an older Strat there of some sort. But he actually Beautiful. plays organ on this song and does the big organ breakdown. Uh, Bob Mayo also played with Foreigner and Joe Walsh. Really? Uh-huh. Yeah, he, he played with Joe Walsh for quite a while. He, uh, he actually died in 2004, mm-hmm. which may not seem like an interesting fact until you tie it in with the drummer, John, I think his last name is pronounced Siamos. Not to be confused with John Stamos. Very similar That's names. Beach Boys. Also very good hair. Um, bottom right-hand corner of your album cover. But he also died in 2004. Uh-oh. They both died the same year. What's going on here with Frampton's band? Other fact about John Siamos, he was also an emergency medical technician. Interesting. Nothing to do with music. After, uh, I don't know when in his career he hung up the drums and went into emergency medical technicianing. Technicianship. Technicianing. But that was his, his thing. And he also played with Carly Simon and Rick Derringer. Okay, okay. Carly Simon and Rick Derringer. Okay. Uh, what was Rick Derringer's big hit? Um, it's the it's hooky, ho- rock and roll hoochie coo. Is that him? Is it? Yeah, I think. Rock and okay. roll. I'm thinking of a different one. He's got something that he he plays it like right He plays Rick Derringer also played in the Edgar Winter. He played with Edgar Winter for a while. Okay. I'm going to have to do some next next week. I'll be back with more info on Rick Derringer. Sorry, we did not have more Rick Derringer backing. Sorry. I was unprepared. Segue. I was unprepared on Rick Derringer. No Andre Agassi fact. But there you go. <laughs> um, um, and bass, Stanley Sheldon. Stanley Sheldon, of course. Everybody knows Stanley Sheldon. Everybody's favorite Stanley. Top left-hand corner of your album cover. Um, one of the first bass players to ever use a fretless bass. Really? Yes. And he is actually playing a fretless bass in this picture. Yeah. It's like a Fender... P bass maybe yeah it looks like a, a fitter P bass or a fitter jazz maybe a, uh, no I guess no, that is a P P bass because the two yep mm-hmm. there 
Uh, and uh, and wearing what appears to be like a boxer's robe. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He looks he like he's being Rocky One. Yeah, he looks like he's about to to fight Apollo Creed. Oh, yeah. Good call. Um, after, and a choker. After he's he finishes, a cho- he's wearing a choker. He's wearing a choker. Um, and no shirt underneath, just the open boxing robe. We should have a good visualization of the inner album cover. <laughs> you you need, kind of need to feel the soft lights and the seventies vibe of this whole thing. I also have Frampton a on the CD. cover looking like an angel. And they have the same four pictures on the back of the CD, although the order is rearranged. There you go. Would you look at that? So, and of <laughs> That's course, meet the band. And of course, Frampton on uh, lead guitar and oh, uh, yes. lead vocals, um, playing a, a Les Paul. Playing a Gibson Les Paul. Gibson Les Paul, beautifully um, as he's done for most of his career. Original right? artist who actually wrote the song. Um, because it was not originally wrote here, so the instrumentalist. Hold up. That. Hold up. Are you telling me Peter Frampton didn't write this song? Yeah, yes, yes. I just mean the people that helped play on the original recording. Oh, okay, okay. Yes, All right. yes. Sorry for be, the false uh, I was about to be so shocked. No, he, he does. Uh, original artist that played on the original album, the aforementioned Frampton's Camel. Yeah. Uh, Mike Gallagher, who played with The Clash, and Rick Wills, who played also with Foreigner, Skinner, and Bad Company. Yeah. But they... I guess have uh, I don't know how royalties would work on something like this when the live recording is the one that everybody knows and nobody knows the original but they played on the original. If they're if they were listed as songwriters on the original, they would make royalties. Let's look and see who's of... listed as songwriters. Shut up, they're listed on here. Wills, Gallagher, Siamos, and Frampton. So darn you, Stanley Sheldon you and Bob Mayo yeah. for getting. Uh, thanks for helping out, right? right? Thanks for coming in and helping out. Right place, right time. Right, right. place, right. Um, but uh, it's the other guys who got rich off this yeah. because uh, because they're they're making the money off the album sales and the single sales. Well played, Mike Gallagher. Well played. Way to be there, Mike. I must meet the band. Um, Mike Gallagher, no relation to Noel. Liam or the guy or that smashes Gallagher. the watermelons. Yeah, as yes. far as we know, uh, no relation there. Uh, okay, so um, do you have any other technical notes on this song? Uh, it I know it, it charted well, on the Billboard Hot 100. It, it peaked at number ten on the Billboard Hot 100 in uh, 1976. Uh, it, it has been covered by uh, Tesla, Night Ranger. Uh, who actually combined it with a Beatles cover in, in the same track. I'm going to have to hear this. I wish I had seen this Night beforehand. Ranger was my first concert that I went to. Really? Random fact. Mine first. was uh, Dawkins and Bon Jovi. Oh, shut up. Similar genre. Yeah. Um, Night Ranger covered it and did a sort of a mashup with a cover of the Beatles' Tomorrow Never Knows. That'd be interesting. Also, uh, Warren Haynes' notable cover yeah. of this song. Let's get into, we know why this song is, is beloved by everyone else. Why is this song beloved? To us. What is great about this song to you? Well, I did have one other question. I don't know why it's called Do You Feel Like We Do. I feel like it should be called Do You Feel Like I Do. Yeah. Except for the fact that they sing we through the talk box section. Right. That's the only time I hear him sing we. What's your take on I, I versus we? It's one of those, I don't know. Honestly, um, I have no idea. I almost feel like he should have just called the song Do You Feel. Oh, yeah. Or, or something completely different. Yeah, like not have the chorus what, name as the what wine, whose wine? Yeah, could have been the name of the song. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, I, I've wondered that myself. It's one of those things, but I guess it's maybe geared toward the end. Um, and it's it kind of it kind of maybe is about how you know this is this this was their finale. This he became well known for 
playing the song at the end of his concerts and and it very very much is fueled by crowd involvement and that sort of thing so maybe we just felt right i don't know uh but maybe you know it's just it feels like a we moment yeah. so uh maybe he just wanted to go we <laughs> you know sometimes you just got to go we sometimes you just go we um so this song is sort of in in three sections. There's sort of the opening rock salvo, um, and then you know you get into the, the verses and that sort of thing. And then there's, um, and then there's a couple of uh, jams, long extended jam section, and then back to sort of the rock, you know, outro, big loud, um, everything like that. And um, each section has its own sort of vibe and its own sort of exciting moments that you listen for every time. Uh, what's your, what's your favorite? Do you have a favorite moment of, of the song? There's so many. Probably, uh, probably the talk box section, which is not my favorite section, Poser. but it's the <laughs> sellout. Yeah, I know. Right. That's probably the, the, because it's the way I know Peter Frampton. Right. Like when I think of Peter Frampton, I think of talk box. Like that's the way I, tie him in and i that's just culturally i guess put on me yeah you and uh, everybody else yeah like, uh, of and course that's the it's the when i think about peter frampton i think about that um, this was a this was a sort of revolutionary introduction to the to mainstream of of the talk box this was the grand coming out you know sort of of the talk box i looked up man i wish i'd have, I'd have wrote this down I, there's the guy that actually introduced him to the talk box i think his last name was drake or something like that not the no not relation the, not the rapper yeah. but he actually used to use it on his uh steel guitar it was like his steel guitar interesting and he would run it through and, and set it up that way and wow yeah the, the way it was set up with the, that'd be very the way strange. the mic through it was set up i don't know actually yeah he had a, it so, was like a lap steel so if if you're listening and you're not familiar with the talk box uh, you will be by the time you've finished the song um but the the talk box is basically a guitar effects unit um in which you uh, you run a tube up with a microphone. It requires a separate microphone. Uh, they have digital ones that came years and years later um, that didn't, but uh, that didn't require the tube. But this one has a microphone and a tube, and it's run separately. And you actually stick the tube in your mouth, in in the side of your mouth, and it takes the inflections of your voice by you opening and closing your mouth, and just takes the shape of your mouth combined with the signal that's coming through the microphone runs it back through your guitar rig and and gives the gives the impression if you do it right that your you know your guitar is talking, talking. with your guitar. Yeah. Um Richie and, Sambora also used this a lot. Yes, uh, uh Living on a Prayer is one of the classic wow 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 like that that riff is that's a talk box. Um so this is by far I think uh well I say by far but maybe Living on a Prayer they could be up neck and neck for most notable talk box uh appearances. This was Probably the first, the predecessor of big talk box Definitely. moments. Absolutely. Talk box is one of those things that like. Do you ever have a talk box? I did. I had a digital talk box uh, made by Digitech and it had, it was tubeless uh-huh. um, and it had several sort of iterations of, it had the classic like Frampton-ish sound. It had more modern sounds um, and uh, it got stolen. I, I I had one, but I actually have uh, feelings and ceilings in the back of my mouth and my mouth would vibrate weird some kind of nothing and it was just awkward for me so those of y'all guitar players that have feelings in the back first of all dental hygiene is important (laughs) second of all 
um, look at the ones that you get because certain ones will will definitely vibrate the back of your mouth. Interesting. I had to, and that's a talk box is actually one piece of with the tubing. They wouldn't let me return it because it's for sanitary mouth on it for sanitary reasons. Mm. There you go. So be sure to practice talk box safety out there, (laughs) all you all you guitarists. Um, so. Yeah, this is uh, this was sort of revolutionary in the rock world. Um, now, if you're a keyboard player listening out there, uh, you may be familiar with something called a vocoder, which is basically a keyboardist's version of a talk box. Um, doesn't require a tube, but you you take a you have a microphone that plugs into a keyboard, and uh, you've you've heard bands like um, actually sort of the predecessor to it. You had bands like uh, Zap and Roger, Gap Band. Um, and now you have guys like, um, what's the guy's name? Byron Chambers? Mr. Talkbox? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Is he, it Byron Chambers? I saw him and Tim Tebow do a thing together. Of course you did. One time. Yeah. yeah. Um, At Cornerstone Tim, Church Tim Tebow, in Madison, hey, Tennessee. Tim Tebow's going to be our underrated songwriter of the week. <laughs> um, you, 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 Mr. Talkbox actually opened for a Tim Tebow speaking thing. Very strange. Well, right. if you ever get a chance to hear Tim Tebow at a coffee shop, you're good. Check you're him out. It'll change yeah. your life. You'll be donating to... UNICEF. Be- yeah, before you know. Something, I don't know. Um, so, uh, so anyway, uh, the TalkBox has different different applications on, on keyboard as well, as, as well as a, a vocoder. that kind of allows you to do the same thing. If you've ever heard uh, California Love by Dre and Tupac, TalkBox is featured prominently uh, in that, but, but it's with a, uh, a keyboard instead of a guitar. So anyway, this is the big how do you do for TalkBox recordings. Um, my, what is your section? My favorite my favorite section honestly is my favorite section is probably not is probably the keyboard solo. It's a weird it's a weird thing to say. Bob Mayo? In it's the, Bob the Mayo on the keyboards. Bob Mayo. I just love the I think it's because in a 14 minute song it's this lull in the middle. It's bookended by these big rock sections and it's bookended by this just chill like jazz influenced keyboard. Do you think Frampton? St- I've not seen the video. Do you think he stayed on stage during that, or did he go take a break, have a drink of water? I, maybe of I don't know. He might have had to like give himself a face massage, getting ready. Do you have to warm up before you use a talk box? Like a, you have to massage your gums. I'm not really sure. Put on another um, one of these awesome. But I think that keyboard solo to me is just so good and so unexpected. Like I just don't. It, when I think '70s arena rock, I don't think amazing like Wurlitzer solo, you know. Uh, but darn if Bob Mayo didn't pull one off. Well done, Bob. It's so good. I love it. It's just such a great like catch your breath moment. There's all this excitement with the guitars, and 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 then and then it's headed in immediately to another section of guitar brilliance. Um, but the thing that just really gets me every time, I just find myself bobbing my head, listening to this keyboard solo, and like chilled out. Like if, like if I was a smoker, that's your spot. You know <laughs> what I'm saying? Sure. That's where you're like, this is the, this is the moment right here for me. Um, so yeah, but I think honestly my favorite moment, like that's my favorite section of the song. My favorite moment is, uh, he's, he's coming out of, uh, the talk box section, going back into just sort of the, the ending section where it's chords and then a little bit more solo and he go, he does a big whoa on the on the talk box that bleeds into his vocal mic. Can you scan ahead and, you, and find that? And you hear so Hold on talking. just a second. Let me let me find this. 
Okay, so right there, we're headed out of the talk box section, and he hits the big, it comes off as a chord from the talk box. Well, but you hear his voice coming in in harmony over what he's playing over the top. So the guitar's going, and, he, and you hear him, and then it kicks into this big jam going into the end. I think that is my absolute favorite moment of the entire song. Just so good. Who thinks to do that? Was it? It's another one of those things that could have been an accident. It, that so vocal bleed could have been unintentional, uh, but just just such a great moment, such good energy right there. And then of course he just blazes through the rest of the song. The the energy at at the end of the song when he's hitting the all that stuff is just so good, uh, and especially in in context of this is the end of a you know roughly hour and 45 minute two hour set yeah um it's just it's just so amazing uh another interesting just note going back this was originally not supposed to be part of this album did you know that are you aware of that no um it was it was supposed to be a single lp it was not supposed to be a double album to begin with and he took the tapes uh, to... Oh, yeah, at a couple of different shows, right? That's what they did? They... Uh, yeah, I believe so. From... And and he took the tapes to uh, an executive at the record company, and the executive said, where's the rest of it? Uh, and so, at that point, they decided to make Frank Becomes Alive a double LP, and uh, and then they chose to include Do You Feel Like We Do, which is I, b- I believe is the most successful single off of it. I, I mean, if you're top 10 uh, and on the Billboard Hot 100, you're, you know... That's I was just looking at all the different places that they took from the show. Winterland and San Fran. Oh, I didn't know that the San Fran was a pretty big hub for Humble Pie. Like that's yeah. why I, that's why they lead with that one. Most yeah. of the footage is from there because Humble Pie killed it there. Who were who are the other members of Humble Pie? I do not know. Was, was that Steve Winwood? Was he associated with Humble Pie? So. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um Okay, so the we've we've got the our our favorite moments of the song, our favorite sections. Is there anything other uh, else that stands out to the song about you that you just one of the reasons that you love it? This is just one no. of those songs that you never never turn off if it comes on the radio. You always turn it up. I like the key changes early in the song. Yeah. It's tough for me to tell what key the song is in when you go verse chorus when you go intro verse chorus. If you're just to combine them all in a big pot, I would not know what key to say the song was in unless maybe D because the chorus is focus so heavily around yeah. D. Yeah. You could probably help theorize help on that with me. I don't know if you Yeah, could. It, would, it could break it down. I think it would get super boring uh for for the listeners. Um but I do love like he's got just random a couple random things like that. There's a couple of random key changing spots. There's one spot in the intro where for no reason they play a bar of like 7 8 time and uh, where the intro, he's playing that, and the drummer just changes, or? like they, it just for no reason they leave a beat out, and I don't know if it's a bar of three, four time or a bar of seven, eight. I'd, I would have to listen to it more, more uh, closely to pick it out. And they don't do it anywhere else in the song. It's just in this sort of opening thing, and like, it's amazing. Why would you think to do that? Like, but it's so good. I don't understand why, but just, okay, why not? I guess. Um, just a little thing that you throw in that, you know, few people are ever going to really care about, probably even pick up on, you know, because they're, they're, they're just there swaying at the end of the concert. You know, nobody really cares. <laughs> but, uh, but it's just so cool. One of those little intricacies that, that makes it. 
So interesting. Any other uh, random Peter Frampton facts? Like no, but I bet you are a fountain of. Frampton I have facts. a. I'll, I'll cherry pick the good ones. Frampton is one of your all time. Where does he rank among your like top guitarists of all time? I'll put him in top twenty. Top to, oh, I would have expected more. Yeah, I'll go twenty. Okay. Yeah, he's made the poster. He's okay. on my poster. But okay. Top twenty. Who is? It, by the way, let the listener understand. JP literally has a poster. He, like that's not a oh, metaphorical. Yeah, a, I made a homemade poster of uh, it's it's pretty impressive if you ever come over. It's a it's a homemade poster. Um, yeah, he uh, he went to school with David Bowie. Do you know that? Did not. Age twelve to fourteen, they went to school okay. together, and during their lunch breaks, they would play Buddy Holly songs on hmm. their guitar at lunch. Wow, big buddies with uh, David Bowie, and he's a strict vegetarian. So be aware of that when you go to a Peter Frampton concert. Don't offer him Don't meat. offer him a Big Mac. <laughs> he will uh, not hey be. Hey, buddy. And, Peter Frampton, you want to go grab a steak? And you, you're a Simpsons fan, right? You're I am. Pretty, I, yeah, I'm a, did, I'm a early era early Simpsons era, fan. Was he, did, wasn't there a Homer Palooza thing yes. that he was somehow involved in? You might know more about yes. that. Uh, and and his, he had an inflatable pig that he had bought at Pink Floyd's garage sale. And the and the inflatable pig flies away, and his line is, "That's my pig." Um, I, I actually f- almost mentioned that earlier in the podcast, and just didn't because I thought nobody, nobody cares. Too too obscure. Well, I threw um, you a, a pop fly there. So there, yeah, Frampton, a guest on The Simpsons. Yeah. Um, uh, and Frampton would later go on to make um, the most random guitar infomercial. Yeah, come, come, come here. Yeah. Just it was a teaching system like. Which, honestly, I should have just done it. The guy's amazing. I should have just bought the thing. He's no Esteban, though. He's no <laughs> Esteban. Uh, but if you if you ever get a chance to take a lesson from Peter Frampton, I guess you should do it. I don't know why. I don't know how that did or if, or if it was any success at all. But he's really quite good. Good, good guitar player. Peter Frampton. Yeah. Uh, okay. Anything else we need to cover on Do You Feel Like We Do? Um, it's... If you've never, if you've never done the favor, done yourself the favor of listening to the entire 14 minutes in one sitting, please do it. Turn this off. We'll include the link in the description, uh, and you can go on, uh, go on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, probably even, and and listen to the song in its entirety. It is really a journey. It's an experience. This thing, um, uh, just a great piece of part live. of the fourth best selling live album of all time fourth best i don't know the other three oh it's gonna be play a guessing game well i looked up the list of the of billboards like rankings of the best live albums of all time and i think this was surprisingly low it was uh i think it was around number 20 and i thought really you're gonna put 20 albums Live like albums ranked. ahead of Frampton Comes Alive. Not yeah. selling, just not, ranked. Yes, not some, sales, just their, you know. And this is as of 2017, so when y'all are listening to this in 2020, right. that, that list could have changed. Yeah. Everybody that's rediscovering the podcast uh, <laughs> it, several years from now, uh, going back to the beginning, just be aware this could have changed. But yeah, I was, I, was, I was shocked at the, there's a uh, Cheap Trick, um, um, Bob Marley. Um, you know, somewhere in the neighborhood of fifteen to twenty albums ahead of this on, on um. I can't think of any off the top of my head that I would personally rank ahead of it. There was a, with the exception of maybe the uh, double live Van Halen right here, right now. Oh, and see that was not even on. That's a that's a personal preference. Uh, or yeah, or the Dream Theater live from. Let's just let's just go through this list. This is the uh while we have well let's go through the top twenty greatest live albums. 
of all time while we have this according to. And let's give it a uh, or a nah. According to Rolling Stone. <laughs> all right. And some of these we probably will not even care yeah. about. Uh, okay. Frampton Comes Alive uh, clocks in on this list. Oh, excuse me. It's lower than I. It's lower than I thought, man. Frampton, uh, Frampton Comes Alive is clocking in on the Billboard 50 Greatest Live Albums of All Time at number 41. What in the world? So it just barely kind of eked into this list. Uh, it's followed immediately at number 40 by B.B. King, live in Cook County Jail uh, in 1970. Um, Joni Mitchell, Miles of Isles. What's number one? What Jump is number, number one? one? Or at least let's, the top five. Yeah, let's, the top, let's, let's do top five. Scroll down to the top five. Okay, so uh, here we are with the top ten. Uh, Nirvana, MTV Unplugged in New York. No, nothing Nirvana will ever make any. No, for list. you. No, I will admit I was not a Nirvana fan. I, I was a pretty adamant non uh, non Nirvana fan for quite a while. I did really enjoy the live album. Not gonna lie. A uh, surprise appearance by the Meat Puppets, which I was a big fan of. That's um, one of us. Number so, four? <laughs> number, uh, that was number 10. Oh, number okay. nine, uh, Bob Dylan, The Bootleg Series, Volume 4, uh, featuring uh, stuff from Royal Albert Hall. Uh, number eight, MC5, Kick Out the Jams. What is 1969. Come over there and look at that picture. This is the, uh, the crash bang throttle of the first 10 minutes of the MC5's debut. Made garage rockers of the era sound weak and tentative by comparison. I have literally never heard of MC5. I don't think. I have no idea. Uh, number seven, Grateful Dead, Live Slash Dead, 1969. There'll be a Cream album on there. Um, I don't think in the top ten. Number six, we've got Alive by Kiss, um, 1975. Number five, BB King, Live at the Regal. BB with all over two albums in the top, top twenty. 50. Top 20. I oh, know, I'm sorry. Top, two top albums 50. in the top 40. Yeah, two, uh, two of the top 40. Uh, number four, The Who, Live at Leeds from 1970. Number three, Johnny Cash at Folsom, Folsom Prison. Folsom Prison, yeah. I can see the yeah. argument for that one. It was a very important album, very great album. Um, number two, I think if you, if you thought about it for a second, you could probably give me number two. Of iconic live albums. It's a band. Any thoughts? Nah. Come on, you got it. You're going to kick yourself. Probably. Have me kick. Almond Brothers, oh, live yeah. at Fillmore yeah, East. Fillmore, yeah. 1971. That makes sense. I actually have that one. Yeah, that one. And then according to uh, Rolling Stone, the number one live album of all time, James Brown, Live at the Apollo, 1963. So, I... Well, I guess Frampton's... I, I still would put him in the top five. I, yeah, I would have guessed, I would have guessed he would have blazed into the top five with Frampton Comes Alive. How can you have the fourth best selling all time and not be in the... I don't know. It's one of those things about art versus... Yeah, I get it. Uh, popularity. You know, yes, art versus popularity. So, like, you know, I love uh, Batman versus Superman. I thought it was an underrated movie. Um, but I'm in the minority of that. But it might make my top however many, you know, whatever. But I understand your argument. Uh, objectivity. Have, the people that made that list have not seen Bob Mayo's shirt on the inside <laughs> of this album cover. That would have definitely jumped up to number... In. Oh man, it is kind of a light goldenrod. Kind of a canary yellow. I feel like his pants are probably the same color. <laughs> it's a pantsuit, yeah. Or maybe it's just white. Lighting. It might just be a jumpsuit, like a. It's very possible. like he's going to do some t- sanitation yeah, work. Yeah, it is kind of tough to tell where the shirt ends and yeah. the pants begin. It's true. And that, those are the best kinds of shirts. All right, that's going to wrap it up for this episode of the Great Song Podcast. 
Thanks for listening. If you're listening on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you are, go rate, subscribe, comment. Follow us on Twitter at GreatSongPod. And we will see you next time with another great song on the Great Song Podcast. Bye-bye now.